What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for listening to the podcast here. I greatly appreciate it. And to all of our subscribers at GoLong, over at GoLongTD.com, part of the Substack Network, greatly appreciate you and your support. You are what makes this trip to Florida possible. So I spent a couple days with the Jacksonville Jaguars, a couple days around the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that trip included a stop at Cigar City Brewing in Tampa, Florida to drink some Highlight IPA with Patrick Laird. You can get the full written conversation over at Go Long. Uh, I also wanted to include it here on the podcast because Patrick was unbelievably fascinating. We get into his love for reading and how we can somehow get people to stop doom scrolling and being addicted to social media. Kind of a bad trend for mankind there. And I think he is absolutely doing his part and had some really interesting things to say. The debate over free will. I don't know. I don't remember how we got on the subject, but we talk about free will, if it exists or not. He had some interesting comments on that front. And of course, a lot of football talk. Uh, he spent the first few years of his career with Miami Dolphins, was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year, and this year he has seen a lot, lived through a lot. I think you're going to love what Patrick Laird has to say. At the very least, he is a man who will make you think. So thank you to Cigar City Brewing for having us. Be sure to pick up some Highlight IPA wherever you are, and the podcast is always fueled by our friends at Fatty Beer Company. Hope you enjoy. Thank you so much. Honestly, Pat, like, from afar, you've always seemed like one of the more fascinating players in the NFL, like beyond football. Um, but where does the legend of Patrick Laird really start here? I mean, you, you ran for 3,000 yards your senior year of high school? <laughs> I thought that was a typo. That's that's no, for real? That's funny. Uh, I haven't been asked about that probably yeah. since college. Well, I, I saw it, and then I didn't think that was your whole high school career, 3,000 yards. But that, that was, was my one, senior year. That was one season. Yeah. And then he uh, had to walk on, which yeah. doesn't make much sense. I, uh, lucky or not, like, we just couldn't figure out the passing game my senior year in high school, so I ended up averaging 29 carries a game or something like 29 or 30, which I enjoyed. Yeah. But it was just because we had to. We just had to run the ball. And so um, we won a lot of games, too. I think we, we ended up in the, the section finals, um, like the championship game. Um, but yeah, no, I just got to run the ball a lot. And then I was like lightly recruited like to small schools. My brother played at Cornell. So I always thought I was going to go back east and play Ivy League football. Like that was like my goal. Like I just wanted to my neck of the woods. I wanted to go play Ivy League football. And then I had a good that good senior year and my coaches were like, "You want to try to play like a higher level?" I said yes, but I didn't want to sacrifice the academics. And so they sent film out to like some college coaches that they knew. And then Berkeley was like, yeah, we'll give them a preferred walk-on spot. They brought me up for a recruiting visit for like this like little walk-on recruiting visit weekend. And I like I toured the school. I looked up the business school. I saw it was like one of the best undergrad business programs in the country. I was like, I'm going to Cal. And that was my decision. It was just because of how good the business school was. 
So you really were valuing academics to that, all, to that degree, even, I even I wanted, as a star. I wanted to play football, but like the the only thing I was really considering was like how good of an academic program I could have gotten into. So like UPenn, I wanted to go to Wharton, but UPenn didn't want to recruit me. And then I started looking like Brown and Cornell have really good business programs that you can do. Um, but those two are like, there's like kind of like some specialized programs they did, whereas Berkeley, the Haas School of Business is just like a all-encompassing business thing. You like everybody studies finance, marketing, accounting, economics, um, finance, all that. They, like, you, you you just learn it all. And so I was like, I want to do that. That's so still why, bizarre, though. That's, that's why so I chose Cal to the business school. I mean, somebody who runs for three thousand yards in a season, even though it's the senior year, right? Because most of the recruiting is kind of like in a guy's junior year. But even then, you should have been just this four or five star dude that everybody wants. I get I, it. We're, I played, we're a, a, couple small, guys I played here. a small high school though. So like we had 320 kids in the high school, I think, oh, okay. around that number. And we played a bunch of other small schools in California. And then being from the Central Coast, small town area, the biggest city in the county is probably like 45, 50,000 people. And so it was hard to get colleges to come up there and recruit people because like you go to LA or Orange County or the Bay Area, you can hit like 10 high schools in one day. And on the Central Coast, there might be 10 high schools and there might be one or two guys that you might hit in a day. Whereas, you know, if you spend more time in LA, Orange County. So it's just like an efficiency thing. I mean, that's not all of it. Like guys get recruited out of the Central Coast, but um, a couple different factors. And yeah, small school, People probably assumed I was slower than I was, all that stuff, but it all worked out, so I don't really care. I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out. You're right. Yeah, there are not many, like, dominant white running backs, <laughs> but you dominated in high school. You dominated in college. It, it took a little bit, though. How did you kind of fight and claw your way to even get a shot at, at Cal? I mean, you're this yeah. guy that isn't getting any attention. All of a sudden, you're playing at a, at a power five school, and you had the two seasons you have. How did you kind of get to that point? It was funny. They actually thought I was going to play fullback. <laughs> so they saw me on the recruiting visit. They're like, you want to play fullback? They like this. It was the spread offense. It was like Jared Goff was. It was after his uh, freshman year there. Because I was one year behind him. And they do the air raid with Sunny Dykes. And they throw the ball a ton, but they also got into this like two tight end, one fullback, one running back formation. And they're like, okay, you can play that. Call it. It wasn't like the wishbone. I forget what they called it, but like, do you want to play this position? I was like, sure. I just want to. I want to come to Cal. Maybe I'll play special teams, whatever. I show up, and so football is just kind of like you're not thinking NFL. This is my career. No, it's kind of like I'm really good. This is a great academic school. Yeah, let's just see what I, happens. Well, I love football. Like, yeah. I absolutely like loved football, and like I worked, I worked my ass off to like get better at football, like every day, like every week. And so, like, I enjoyed that whole process. Um, but I just, I guess I just kind of sold myself short with, like, how high my ceiling was. And maybe that was because I was kind of, like, not, I wasn't highly recruited. I just, the NFL was, like, never even in my thought process. But um, I came in, there was three scholarship running backs in our class, and then me as the one fullback. And I showed up for the freshman summer workouts, and... I guess just a lot of other guys didn't show up in shape. And so our first conditioning session, all the coaches are out there, some of the upperclassmen are out there. And I just, I was beating everybody in the sprints. Like every single, every single rep, I was just beating them. 
And so I came off the field, and the offensive coordinator came up to me, and he's like, hey, sorry, I don't know your name, but like... <laughs> he didn't know your name? Yeah. Uh, and I was like, hey, nice to meet you, I'm Patrick. And he's like, will you come to my office tomorrow? So I had classes in the morning. I walk up to the stadium where the facility is. I walk into his office, I actually walk into like the conference room and my highlight video is up on the, the projector with all the coaches sitting around the table and then the offense coordinator is like, hey, come to my office. And uh, we sit down and like the first thing he said to me, is, he says, uh, do you want to play running back here? And I was like, yeah, I do. And so they moved me to running back and then from then on, I was a running back and then actually I redshirted my second year and moved the receiver and then moved back to running back my third year, my redshirt sophomore year, and then I stayed at running back. But yeah, like I, I wasn't even supposed to go and play running back. I just happened to show up in shape and they moved, a, me, they moved me to running back. What a life lesson though. I mean, that, yeah. that, that one singular moment of just kicking ass in, you know, sprints yeah gets, gets you on the radar gets them thinking yeah about you in a different way yeah and then I, I got invited to camp because at that time in college football I don't know what the rule is now but you can only have 120 I think I think or maybe not I forget the number they can only invite a certain amount of guys to, to camp until school starts okay. and so I got invited to the camp did well in camp then they're like all right you can play special teams and be like reserve running back yeah and then you were the guy for two years. Yeah. Like when, as you start just tearing things up on the field, are are you almost surprised yourself at all? Like, and what I, what I did in high school, I am doing now versus dudes heading to the NFL. I don't know if it was like a surprise to me because I always thought I could do it. Like I had made a bunch of plays in practice in the yeah. in the years before, but. Yeah, it's just like I was never high on the depth chart until I started playing. Like, I didn't actually start until the third game of the season, my junior year. So the first game of the season, I was like the third guy in the rotation. Had a couple pass plays designed for me. I scored a touchdown in the first game in 2017, my junior, my yeah, redshirt junior year. Second game of the season, the starting running back goes down, and I happen to get thrown in that drive, and I rush for like. It wasn't 200 yards, but it was like something close to like to that and a couple touchdowns. The third week of the season, we played Ole Miss, and we always started practice with like the first team goes out yeah. and does a couple plays on air, and no one said anything. But I just like I just ran out there with the first team, and from then on, I was the starting running back. Really? You just yeah. Ran out I just there? ran out there. I was like. I played well enough last game. I should be the starting running back, and I just ran out. Nobody said anything. No one announced anything. anything. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, just, I love it how we all think football's super, super complicated. No, no, yeah, no announcement. There's all these, like, back alley, dark room meetings. No, just be confident I just ran yourself. out on the field. And the guy, the guy that was ahead of me on the depth chart, he just stood there on the sideline and just, like, accepted it. Yeah. He didn't do anything. Say nothing. No. Why do you think he just stood there? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I never amazing. asked him about it. That's yeah. amazing. It's funny. And then you like you, you, you get in there and you don't. I just kept the job. Grip on that job. Yeah. Yeah. I kept the job. Caught a lot of passes out of the backfield, but we ran we ran the ball pretty well in my junior yeah. year. And yeah. I mean, I, I want to be all over the place, but like your your yeah. love for just like reading. Um, it sounds weird that I like to read as well, but not not a lot of people do, yeah. especially our generation. When did that really start for you? Just 
When I was younger, so I'm really lucky. I have three older siblings, two younger siblings. Um, both my parents are educated and stressed education growing up. But my oldest sister, Michaela, was this huge reader growing up. So I always saw her reading, and my, my older brother and my, older, my other older sister, I saw them reading. And so actually, I have this weird memory when I was a kid. I would grab books off the shelf before I could even read and just pretend to be able to read <laughs> chapter books. Little did you know your, your NFL touchdown celebration would be yeah, would holding be the, the book. Right? Yeah. Um, so I just always saw them reading growing up. And I just wanted to be like them. And then lucky enough, like when I actually was able to read and I just started picking up books outside of school and just kept kept doing that. And yeah. Was there one book that just inspired you at a young age? And yeah. Because if you're at that age where it's so easy to to A just become, you know, a mindless lemmings doom scrolling on whatever app yeah. or you know, get sucked into TV show. Like there, there I suffer are, for, I suffer from that too. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But but still like to be in in this generation and emphasize sitting down, hitting pause on life, reading a book is, yeah. is rare. To answer your question, I remember this book. So when I was thirteen my older, my older siblings were in high school and they were assigned Freakonomics. You know that book by uh, Steve Levitt and Steve Dubner? I've never read it. Oh, have you listened to the podcast? No. Oh, great podcast. I have to. Yeah, great podcast. So they had that book they had to read in high school and I'm like 13, I'm in seventh grade and I'm like, you know, I'm going to read this book. So I read it in like a couple days and I remember finishing it. And like loving it so much, I went back to the beginning and started reading it again. Really? And for whatever reason, I just found it fascinating at 13 that like the way we view the world may not actually be what it seems. And there's all this data that we can look at and all this like information that if you process it in the right way, you can actually find out why things are the way they are. And then so I'd always been interested in business. I got, you know, I was, I did like the lemonade stands. I did this like VHS to DVD conversion. I used to make highlight videos for people. Uh, I started a car detailing business. So I was like always interested in business. And so Freakonomics kind of introduced me to this idea like, okay, there's this like macro economy of all these different moving parts and things that play together and humans act a certain way because of psychology. And I just started like, instead of just like living in like my bubble of the life, I started to try to like have this bigger picture of like how things work. So Freakonomics, it was in seventh grade, I read that. And like, then I was like, okay, like there's all this different information I can get outside of school that I like can enjoy learning. Like I still really liked school and like tried to like, I tried to do really well in school, but I started to be like, okay, I can figure out different subjects that I enjoy learning about, and like I can go do it myself. And, like, I just wanted to kind of push your brain to just different different areas in every possible way. Yeah, I just like I think I'm lucky that I was born with like a curiosity. Yeah, I just. I don't know. I, I think it's luck that I was just, I, like, I'm curious about things and how they work, so I like to read about it. That's a good way to put it. There's not enough curiosity in the world. Just questioning things and wanting to learn things. I, yeah. I don't know why that is, but if, if you're curious, you have an advantage to winning at life, I feel like. Yeah. Football or otherwise. Yeah. Um, 
So I, that was seventh grade. That's pretty young too. So then you just started reading a bunch. Anything was good. I mean, and not even sports. It sounds like you. you that's the one like genre I don't really read. Yeah, the sports. Um, yeah, it's funny because I tell people like Michael Lewis is one of my favorite authors, but I've never read any of his sports books. You never read Moneyball, you said? No, yeah. I like like Liar's Poker was really good. The Fifth Risk is really good. Um, uh, one of his newest books. Uh, it's on Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman. You know who those are? They're like the people that they're like these um, Israeli. I don't know if they're psychologists or sociologists. They basically did this, a bunch of research that founded the uh, behavioral economics movement at the University of Chicago. Um, I forget. I forget the name of the book. I'm, I'm blanking. I have. I have. Michael Lewis signed that book for me. And I can't remember. Oh, you met him. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he lives in Berkeley. So when I was doing the summer reading challenge, I was doing all these different promotions. I'd interview all these people, and we post it on social media. So Michael Lewis is one of the authors that That's awesome. that I. Uh, I had come to Berk or like come to the stadium and interview, and so he's an awesome dude. And his new book is coming out October third. Uh, it's on Sam, uh, Sam Bankman Fried and FTX. That's right. FTX. I'm so excited for that book. You made such a good point on the podcast we were talking about earlier, where it's like ten years from now, we'll be referencing what he wrote about yes. it as kind of just the way it was. Yeah, and that's he writes like the history of like how we view things. Like certain situations, like how things went down, like the Big Short is what people ref like reference when we think about the Great Recession. So, so do you, I mean, do you like reading, like literal reading with a hard copy of a book? Do you listen to books? I do audiobooks. Uh, I subscribe to the service called Scribd, which is like similar to Audible, but you can do unlimited books. I don't know if the selections as fast, but. Um, I just don't like that script or uh, Audible is only one book a month, um, or at least that's it's, it's so funny because it's like I can't keep up with Audible right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you find time? I'm a hard copy guy. Like I collect books. I like to buy first edition hard copies, yeah. and just I'm trying to build like a collection. That's cool. uh, so yeah, I'm a hard copy guy, but I like to find books that I can read hard copy, and then if it's on Scribd, I'll listen to it on the side if I'm like working out or like on a walk or something. Do you consider it like a mission to try to get people to read more, learn more, be more curious, think beyond Twitter and Instagram? That was one of my goals. I did the summer reading challenge that you had mentioned in college and that was one of the goals. So like I had learned about this thing called summer reading loss. So like when you graduate from third grade and you're going into fourth grade, the fourth grade teacher spends like the first three weeks of the, of the school year trying to get kids back up to the third grade leading, the reading level. And most kids are behind because they, you know, if you don't pick up, a, it's like a, it's like a muscle. If you don't pick up a book for three months over summer, two months over summer, you kind of learn that you lose that skill. And I learned about that, and I approached the Cal Athletic Department, and I said, "Hey, I have this idea to encourage kids over the summer to read, and maybe we could reward them with like a free ticket to a game." And they're like, "Yeah, we'll do it." And they're like, "We'll give out four free tickets." Yeah, so um, kind of a gift and curse of going to Cal, like you know, there's a couple extra sta uh, seats in the in the stadium that are open, so you can give away free tickets. But um, there's a huge response. The Cal alumni loved it. The kids in the Bay Area loved it. But yeah, it's like 
I was lucky growing up that my parents and my older siblings encouraged reading, so like I always read, you know, over the summers. But like a lot of kids aren't fortunate in that sense, and so it was just a way to say, hey, like I'm a football player. I do, you know, I I do football, but like reading in school is cool too. And whatever you want to do in life, you want to be good at football. Like you have to have like some sort of like mental aptitude. If you want to be a teacher, a lawyer, a, a doctor, a fireman, like you got to be able to learn and process information. And reading is one of the core things you need to be able to do in order to accomplish anything you want to be able to do in life. And so that was kind of the message. Like, what? It's not just about being a smart nerd. It's like whatever you want to do, reading is going to be important. And so just encouraging kids to read over the summer. So they're still doing it, which is awesome. They relaunched it after COVID. Um, there's a new, there's a kid now on the team that's that's running it. And, uh, Who's that? Um, it's like a, it's a group of guys that are running okay. it. But yeah, it's um, it's so important though. I mean, I remember like these little things you take for granted. I mean, I grew up in the sticks, you know, small school, but third, fourth, fifth grade, I think whenever you were going to go to the next grade, like whoever your teacher was, they'd give you like a summer assignment. Read these two books over the summer and yeah. write up a report. I guess you remember reading My Side of the Mountain. Yeah, you know, like that. Yeah. yeah. And um, these little things, it's, it's not the case in every single school. Yeah. Especially yeah. today with, I don't know, I mean, I feel like reading's being de-emphasized and technology's great. You know, like you said, but, I'm not going to be all high and mighty and say, you know, I'm not on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We all do it. But it should be at the expense of just slowing down life, being open to learning. I don't know how we snap back to that. Like, as a society, it's it's only going one direction where everything needs to be instantaneous. We need... We just need to be in the moment all the time instead of, no, let's, let, let's A, B, we don't know everything, like, yeah. it, it kind of takes a suppression of ego to, to know, like, all right, we, I don't have all the answers, I need to learn, and time, like, okay, I, I'm going to read for a half hour, Yeah. right, like, for, for a half hour, I don't need to look at my phone, Yeah. it's hard for people to get to that point. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, I have a lot of, a few thoughts on that, um, let it rip. I don't know if I'll be able to spell it out intelligently, <laughs> but I meet a lot of people that are very smart, but they're like, yeah, I don't really have the time to read or I don't want to, I, and they'll just read articles, and I spend a lot of time reading articles, like I love, I read the paper almost every day. What, what do you read? I think the Wall Street Journal. I, I subscribe to the Wall Street yeah. Journal, I get that in print, which people think is weird, and I have a New York Times subscription, so gotcha. I do both of those. I don't read them all front to back. Um, oh, come on. But why are you so lazy? Um, so like I, I love to digest information from that form. And the Wall Street Journal actually has like on on Saturdays they they do like their large sections where they do like long form essays and they go deep dives into random parts of history and I love all that. that. And I, I love used it. to get that delivered. I too. love it. But. You can only learn so much from like a 2,000 word essay where a book can really dive deep and like when you when you spend time and digest a subject for two weeks or a month, you get like a breadth of knowledge that you just cannot get from an article. And so there's people that are really smart 
that can recall all these little tidbits from from articles that they've learned but like I feel like you've got to spend time with a subject to get really like a deep knowledge and then I think it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect, like the more you learn about something, the less confident you are in what you know about it. And so that's, I, I try to remember that whenever I'm like learning or explaining something. It's like, here's my opinion, here's what I think about it. But at the end of the day, I don't really know and no one really knows because it's impossible to have like 100% concrete knowledge on anything. So like, well, I think you meant it, you kind of alluded to this before, but it's having that humility about knowledge. You don't really know what you don't know, but there's always that like journey and process to like just learning more and more. And so like I'm always trying to do, I'm always trying to do that, and then encourage other people to, to do that. But like humans are humans. Like there's a reason everybody's addicted to their phone. Like that's just in our biology. Like to just like be concentrated on like what's like the next little dopamine hit. And yeah. so I don't know how to come out of it because it's just so in it's it's like wired in our brains to. You just got engaged. You're gonna have kids soon. <coughs> they get they get you started early on cocoa melon. And <laughs> oh, right. my sister is anti cocoa melon. So oh. my sister has I have a niece and nephew, and she won't let her kids watch it because she's like heard about the addictiveness of it. I feel like that's how you start getting baited into this world that we're talking about here. Like with no just, attention span. Right. right. Exactly. Like, there's something valuable about delayed gratification. Yeah. Like. Bring your family to dinner, no phones. Yeah. Like sit, wait for your meal, talk, like take a deep breath. And we're, we're, we're just going the other direction as a society. And yeah. so there's that. But I think what kind of drew me to you is just following you on Twitter. You've got views all over the place. Like you've got that humility where, I don't know, like you'll you're recommend a book. I like this, but I didn't like this. And politically, you seem to be kind of all over the place. We need more of that in the world. Yeah. You know, everybody is kind of on one end of the spectrum or the other. And it becomes... I don't even want to say politics becomes sports. It's like life becomes sports. You have an opinion on anything, or and it's like fuck this person for having the other opinion. Right. Or it's the people that are the most far apart are the most willing to say their strong opinion, and then most people in the middle. Either it's not that they don't care, but they're just like I'm not gonna voice. Like a lot of times, I don't voice an opinion I have on Twitter because it's like. I don't think it's going to be one, like I don't think it's going to be productive, and then two, I don't think people are going to engage in good faith. So then I just, I hold the tongue, hold my tongue. Um, so then we start to have this perception that, okay, everybody's way extreme this way, way extreme that way, but if you talk to most people, like, if you talk to people at this bar, everyone's probably going to agree on, like, a lot of core fundamental ideas, but they're, we're, we're just not the one, the normal people aren't the ones spouting the normal opinion. It's the crazies. Yeah. I don't say crazies, but I like crazy. The crazies on both sides. Man, that's, I don't know how to fix that. And people, there's a lot of people trying to fix it, and I, I actually follow some good people on Twitter that are, uh, um, they're trying to do that, um, but yeah. Isn't that the know. truth, though? Yeah. I mean, I've got, uh, I mean, I've got my own views, and I, I like to think I have views on all sides. But I've got friends on all sides, and when we sit down and we have a beer, yeah, maybe we talk about stuff going on in the world, and maybe we don't. But we're not acting in real life like we would on Twitter. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it became so vile and. Uh, just aggressive and malicious and it, yeah. should, it shouldn't be like that yeah the and scary thing is to think about how good the algorithms are getting at tapping into that yeah. that psychology where we're drawn to these like combative 
disagreeable takes where kids with an iPhone at 10 years old have their brains developed from 10 to 21 years old viewing this information. So like I was lucky enough I didn't get a smartphone until like junior or senior year of high school. And I didn't like download any of like the, I, I didn't, like I didn't have Vine or like, oh, I Vine. Have, I was like against Snapchat for the longest time. Um, I got Instagram, I think, I forget how old I was, but maybe like sophomore, junior year. But like, I didn't grow up with the crazy algorithms that like fed my brain all these crazy different things. I had Twitter when it was just a chronological timeline, so all the crazy stuff wasn't pushed to the top. So I just, I wonder what's gonna happen with younger kids, and like we see like anxiety uh, rates going through the roof. Um, a lot of scary t statistics with like self harm with young kids is crazy. But um, oh my, that's the key. We're gonna, we're gonna see. That's a way to fight back. I mean, like you just nailed 10, it. Fifteen years, what happens? Somehow, I mean, it's parenting then, right? Like, just it's gonna be hard. I'm thinking. But even then, like parents are stuck between like a rock and a hard place, like. If your kid's the one kid without a phone, yeah. then, then they can't communicate with their friends. And then you let them have a phone, and you can't really monitor everything they're doing. They're gonna wanna be on the apps that all their friends have. So it's like, do you do, force them into social isolation, isolation, or do you throw them into the fire with all the crazy stuff they're gonna be exposed to online? Like, and then just like, hope that you parent them well enough. I don't know. So I've got a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah. You've got time. Someone's going to gonna figure it out. Well, what do we do then as, as, as dads in this world? Like, what, what, what's the answer? Lead by example. Yeah. Hopefully. Gosh. I shouldn't give parent any advice, but I got a dog. <laughs> I can't well, imagine. We need more people like you. I mean, that's, that's fascinating. Like, I think it's just a matter of... Valuing our brains and our own curiosity, then. So that's kind of always been your weapon, I, I guess. It, it, it makes you different, I would think. I mean, you're in the NFL. Are there many people like you that think like you? How has it helped you as a player? Um, I think there's there's actually a lot there's a lot of intelligent people, a lot of intelligent players in the NFL, and so and. Intelligence to me isn't like the classic like linear IQ scale. There's like, to me it's like a circle. And someone might be very like emotionally intelligent or someone might be intelligent verbally and some people might be intelligent when it comes to numbers and graphs and like processing that sorts of information. Um, so there's like these different spectrums and I think everybody kind of can use that to their, like whatever, however it'll help them on the field. Um, but like I was mentioning earlier, like I enjoy when like something's presented to me, I enjoy kind of like understanding the whole thing yeah. and like I'll ask questions or figure out the question or like the answer to my question um, so that it, it, it will help me out. So like when, when a running back has a route on a play, like sometimes people will just memorize, all right, when I hear this concept, I have this route. But for whatever reason, I like to learn like why are we running a swing route instead of a flat route. Yeah. This is something Chase Edmonds is really good at. Yeah. So we'll be talking on the side. We actually had a conversation today about this yeah. where 
a receiver had a certain route, and then we had a route off of that, and we were talking about, okay, the co- like we have it this way, but like, would it be better if we ran it this way? But just having the understanding of like how the whole play fits together, you just learn the the play, you learn the information, you learn the play, and it sticks in your brain way better. So I think I've been lucky in that sense, where like when a play is introduced, I'll try to understand why it's called or, or designed or drawn a certain way, and I think that helps me out. So that when like the, the game happens and the play is called and I see the defense lined up, I couldn't tell you I know what everybody's gonna do and all the calls. That's just like that's a lot of information to process. But it does help to have like a basic understanding of like why we are asked to do a certain job on a certain play and why it's not done a different way. That makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Because this is your fifth year. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you're you're strong, you're fast, you've got physical attributes, but there's got to be there, there's something else that is getting you to the point at Cal where you're running for a thousand yards back to back years, and the point in the NFL you make it as an undrafted dude and you're a fantasy football legend, and you're still playing. Yeah, like they're they're crazy. They're, they're, this is your edge. Yeah. I think I think it helps that I really love playing football. I enjoy working. Um, the, the, the Dolphins do this cool thing where they, they call it a business combine. So, like, when the actual NFL combine is going on, all the guys on the team can go to this thing called the business combine. And a guy named Caleb Thornhill, he actually was the director of player engagement. He broke off and uh, started his own company. And he's basically trying to do this for everybody in pro sports. But there was a speaker that was like, raise your hand if you want to work when football's over. And I was like, I, ra- I raised my hand because, like, to get back to the original point, it's like I enjoy working. I don't, I don't know if I can sit around and just collect money off of like investment properties or, or whatnot. So like I, that's that's helped me out. Like I enjoy football. I enjoy working. The two come together, and I just enjoy working on getting better at football. So I think that's probably been the number one thing that's helped me stay in the NFL this long. Um, I don't know, like the average lifespan of a running back is like 2.4 years or something. So technically, I've gone past that. Doubles it. Yeah. It's still going. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just I've been really lucky. You know, a lot of it's luck too, like injuries, opportunities, all that stuff. And then you obviously have to be ready for the, the opportunities. But um, yeah, I've just been lucky that like I just I enjoy playing the game and I enjoy working at getting better at the game. So that's probably the reason why I've stuck around. When you when you were in Miami, that first training camp, were there seven running backs. I want to say I think I read that seven. You were probably the seventh there guy. Was seven. Yeah, right? I, was, I was the seventh when I showed up. Wow. Yeah. And, and the reason I, I started getting reps and I told I actually told some rookies. Another highlight. I don't know. I, I told some rookies this uh, yesterday. We were sitting at breakfast, and I was actually with my running back coach, and he was just kind of shooting the shit with the rookies. Talking about taking advantage of your opportunities. And I shared, I was like, yeah, like, I came in, I was undrafted running back. We had drafted a guy. Um, Who would that have been? That was Miles Gaskin. That was Gaskin. Yeah. And in training camp and when you're going out like in the fire, like the first and second string guys get the most reps. Yeah. But they gotta throw in someone eventually because those guys can't take every single rep. And so the running back coach just like knew I knew what I was doing. 
I studied hard, I like learned the playbook. And so if he was unsure about, oh, I don't know the next play, whatever it is, he'd throw me in there. And so I just kind of stole a couple extra reps just because I knew what I was what I was doing. Don't realize and then a couple of those reps ended up becoming plays that I made, and then it changes the perception that the coaches have of you. So that's what I share with the rookies. I was like, you just you got to build trust in, in the coaches. They only want to put in people they trust. And so if you're someone that can show them that you're a trustable person, then you'll get more and more opportunities, and then maybe you have a shot to make the team. Which, that's kind of what happened with me. Even if you were to add up rookie camp, OTAs, mini camp, training camp, it seems like, oh my God, there's tons of reps for everybody. There really aren't. Not. Right? I mean, you're talking not. probably, what, how many plays really got you noticed? Trust, trust-wise, like you're saying here, it was probably only a handful where they're like, okay, this guy's worth keeping around to some degree. A, yeah, it was just a couple plays, and like, if I think about it, like, a couple plays could have gone a different way, and then maybe they don't think they don't have the perception of me that I'm able to make plays on the field, and then maybe I don't make the team, and then after my rookie year, maybe I don't get another shot. So it's like. It's those really small moments that you're just like, that's great. Like, it's just yeah. crazy. It's like, it's kind of like what I, what I said about in 2017 when the starting running back went down at Cal and I got thrown in there and had a couple long runs. Thrown in like, there, you run out there. <laughs> if I didn't get those long runs in that game, then maybe I don't have the successful season I do in my junior year. And like, maybe, you know, it's just, that's why I, I attribute so much to life as luck. Like, yeah, I think like a barometer of like wisdom and being intelligent is attributing a lot of your success to luck. I, I, I think. That's like a ph- philosophical thing that I, I believe in. This would have been an interview you did a long time ago, but I think you, you were asked about Malcolm Gladwell and you hadn't read Tipping Point yet, or maybe you did. I did read the Tipping Point. That's like, reminds I think me of that. Like, I think it's the only one I've read. Yeah. Of his, I think. And those are kind of your tipping points, like, you know, the, these specific moments where it went. But you kind of, you've got to take advantage of it, though, too. Yeah, I think that, too. I think. I think you have like some some agency over how things go. Yeah. But most of it is like environment, genetics. Yeah, how you were raised, all that stuff leads you to a point where you either made the the, yeah. the good or the bad decision. It, Maybe this is like too philosophical. I actually got in a debate with my friends a couple weeks ago about this. Oh, really? Yeah. What was the debate? Like free will versus not no free will. Oh man, I know. (laughs) I see. I believe in free will. I think like anybody. I think anybody. Please, like. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. They have this debate. We're gonna need some more highlights. (laughs) I don't know. Like I think this is the greatest country on earth because. I really believe, I get it, circumstances are against a lot of people. I get it. But I think at everybody's core, you can do whatever you want. Especially in relation to other countries, where you, that's just not true. Um, I know it's simplistic, but I, I feel like free will is, it overwhelms, oh, this thing just happened because of circumstance. Yeah. So I try not to use it as like an excuse for like why if, some, if something turns out bad, like um, like it wasn't in my hands. I like I try to live life as if there is free will. But 
philosophically, I'm just I'm not sure that like it exists. Really? Yeah. Why? <laughs> um, you could have told me, screw you, Tyler. I'm not gonna meet you up at Cigar City Brewing with your free will. Said, hey, let's sit down and let's. So you you don't think people can just take control of their own lives, their own <laughs> destinies, make their choices? I'm not sure if I even want this to be public, but like. I read this book, uh, you know who Sam Harris is? He has a podcast. Yeah, yeah. so he wrote a book on, on free will and argues that it's just like a, it's a concept that just like, as we perceive it, it doesn't actually, it doesn't, it's not what we think it is. So the idea is like, I could have chosen otherwise, but there's no reason to think that you could have chosen otherwise based on the decision that you made. And there's all these things outside of your control that led up to the point where you perceive that you made the, the decision. Like you're con basically like we're conscious beings. <laughs> I can't believe I'll get into this. <laughs> I love it. But basically we're just conscious beings observing our life as it happens. And we believe that we're the agents of our decisions. But really we're not, we're just like, but like I don't I don't live my life thinking like, oh I can't do anything else. Like I pretend like I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to do all this like stuff. I'm trying to better myself. I'm trying to self-actualize and you know become a better person and like be a good pro and be a good teammate and be a good boyfriend and all that stuff. Um, like I'm I'm like I think I'm consciously working towards that, but like biologically I don't think deep down like I'm the one that's like it's like you don't have like the choice to do it like that's just like what's happening Holy so like shit. let me let me try a thought experiment with you so think of a city in the United States in your head just think of the city I'll say three two one when I say one say the city so three, two, one. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Green Bay, Wisconsin. So, do you think that you could have said any other city besides Green Green Bay, Wisconsin, if we could rewind the universe four seconds ago? Yeah. <laughs> so that—that's the idea of free will. It's the illusion of free will. Is thinking you could have said Green Bay, or you could have said anything but Green Bay. But in that moment, you said Green Bay. Do you, is there a reason that you think that you said Green Bay versus any other city that you could have thought of in the United States? Know. Was it the first one that popped in your head, or do you think of another one that popped in my head? So, like, why do you think that popped in your head over anything else? Is it because you had mentioned the Packers earlier? Yeah. Yeah. But like you also mentioned Buffalo earlier. Like why did you not say Buffalo, New York? If you if you had written for the Bills, why didn't like why do you think Buffalo didn't pop into your head in, in Green Bay? Or why did maybe you thought Green Bay and then maybe Buffalo popped in your head but you stuck with Green Bay? Like what what happened in your mind that you ended up arriving just I'm gonna say Green Bay, Wisconsin? But when you make a decision in life, like beyond a you know, thinking of a city, like don't don't you sit and think and contemplate and debate internally and then make a decision, I'm going to do this or that? Yeah, but I just think deep down you don't really know why you ended up making the decision that you made. And this doesn't mean a lot of people hear this and they think that, okay, well, if I'm not really the decision maker, then I'm not responsible for the, my own actions. But I, I disagree with that. I think you're still responsible for whatever actions you end up doing. Okay, so you're not going to the extreme of... 
all this stuff's happening and nobody's responsible. No, people are still and responsible. And we're all animals. There's still an ethical reason why you should be punished or ridiculed for bad decisions and all that. There's like multiple reasons why. But yeah, I mean, that, that's why I love Western civilization. Like that is kind of core to know, many, 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 many moons ago. Yeah. I think the, 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 the idea of free will. Yeah, some people confuse like a lack of free will with no ethics, but I I, I don't think that. So that if you believe in tracks. ethics, and then you're making a de- you're making a decision to do good or bad, then right? Yeah, but the idea is like I'm a conscious being experiencing life, right? I know I experience what it's like to be wronged or lied to or hurt. And so I understand that I'm experiencing this life and then other people are also having a similar conscious experience. And so from there, you can use logic to extract that to all like ethical or moral decisions. You might not arrive at the right one, but if you recognize that there's other conscious beings experiencing the same life, and you should treat them with respect. You should want what's best for them. Like, treat others the way you want to be treated is kind of like a core, you know, it's a Christian ideology. It's probably... Are you religious? Um, that you'd like to get into if you don't have to. <laughs> I went to Catholic school for like 13 years, uh, but I don't practice, I don't practice any religion. Um, all right, that's, that's... But definitely respectful of like all religions and whatever people choose. As long as, you know, they're respectful and I think most people who are religious are respectful of other people. Because that's definitely part of the conversation, too. I think, like, if you, I mean, I, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. We don't go to church every week, but I believe in treating others if you want to be treated, all right. of that. I think um, most Christian ideals are, like, like, if you were to develop a framework of ethics and morals, like, everything Jesus said was probably good advice to live by. Right. Yeah. I don't know how we leave this topic, but you tell me. <laughs> you, you asked me, like, I, like, I'm not the best at explaining it. Like, and, like, I make the argument fully realizing that I could be wrong in the argument. Do you, do I you think that's important. in the locker room? Like, are, are you, oh, like, yeah. engaging in... Oh, I've thrown this debate out to a lot of people. Really? Yeah. And I do that same experiment with the, the city thing. So who's, like... So think about preferences. Yeah. Like, do you prefer wine or beer? So I've gone back and forth. Yeah. Right now I'm actually going wine. Yeah. Because beer's a little heavy as we drink IPAs. But yeah. uh, it's like, what do you think it is in your life that like? I think I thought about this too. Like for the longest time, I was like a red wine drinker, and I love calves. And then one day it was like a little warmer, and I had a Sauvignon Blanc, which is a white wine, yeah. and it was smooth. And I'm like, dang, do I like Sauvignon Blancs better than red wine? And like, why at one point in my life did I prefer one thing over the other? Yeah. And there's so many things like that. Like, do you prefer, like with, with breakfast, do you prefer milk or orange juice? Like what, how do you come to those preferences? Like, are you really the decision maker in that? And so it's like, it's a lot of things that go into it. It could be genetics. It could be how you grew up, what your parents told you. All these like events that led up to you in a moment making a decision or having a preference that you really had no control over and that's kind of like the the idea behind like who's fought you like the hardest on this all almost everybody I've only had one person and be like yeah that makes sense because <laughs> everybody wants to believe that they're like the, the they're the um, the owner of their own success so you're thinking maybe that's narcissism to an extent. Like it's ego. Yeah. There's like a very deep <laughs> I, I couldn't explain this argument, but like um, 
a deeper philosophical argument that Sam Harris gets into. That's like because that yeah, that's right. This is his thing. It's his thing. Yeah. It's more like um, the illusion of a self. Yeah. Which I could not explain or argue, but like if you do enough like vipassana uh, meditation, that's supposed to be like the arrival where you like get to that point where you're like, oh, like I'm not really a self. I'm just like a conscious being observing what's happening. But I couldn't I couldn't explain that. I don't know. But the logic of it makes sense to me. I wish it was a lot smarter to we throw can, stuff back at you. <laughs> I feel re- like there's some there's, there's a higher power that is giving us this free will in our flesh and bones to make decisions. So I've made good decisions, I've made bad decisions, I've done things, I look back, I should have done this, I could have done that. I could be wrong on this, but it's a... Uh... Didn't say Thomas Aquinas write about free will and like the the ethics of of like why that's like central to. I went to Catholic school for like 13 years. I, this could be totally wrong, so I don't know if you should include this, but like I remember learning about free will in my like religion classes growing up. And there was some Catholic writer that was like, "This is why like God gave us this these choices, and like that's where ethics and morals come from." That's what I would believe then, for sure. Okay. Yeah. But, man, that, I wish I could be in those locker rooms. Those would be some great... Yeah. It's, it is good. I think th- these are conversations that more people should be having in general. Yeah. Just, why not think about For me, yourself? like, I would love to have an argument given to me that would prove me otherwise, because then I could be more proud of, like, yeah. any success that I have. That's why, like, I drop, like, I say lucky and fortunate a lot, because, like, that's what I truly believe. I believe that I was just born into the right family, born in the United States, born in a situation where I was able to, like, pursue what I enjoyed, was able to walk on at Cal, because my parents could help me financially, like, just yeah, so like, many you're things. you're not just magically throwing around weights in a weight room, or... But I, I believe work ethic is also, like, heritable. I believe, like, it's, work ethic has a lot to do with your environment. You don't think somebody can have a poor work ethic and then get a good work ethic? No, I believe that's, that's possible, too. I'm just saying, in my situation, I was lucky with, like, a mom and dad who worked hard, an older brother who worked hard. (laughs) Another funny story from today, we watched, um... We watched the Rocky movie highlights when he beat uh, was it Ivan Drago? Oh yeah, Rocky, Rocky Four. And I was thinking about that. Like I used to watch the Four Rockies all the time growing up, and I'm like, part of my work ethic was just because my mom and dad liked watching Rocky, and I would watch it with them. And then I saw him go from this like no-name boxer to the world's best because he just like worked his ass off. Yeah. So then I idolized working my ass off. So then my sport was football. So I worked my ass, well, first it was basketball, but then it was football. Like, worked my ass off to become good at football. It's like, is it because I watched those Rocky movies? Is it because I watched my dad work hard growing up? And it's like, I didn't have control over that I experienced those things. So I'm just lucky that I ended up developing a hard work ethic. But that doesn't mean, like, 
someone that hasn't worked hard for the first 30 years of their life can't all of a sudden become a hard worker. They're just something happens and then they become a hardworking person. I, that's why I like I think you should live life as if you're the agent of your your own actions. Exactly. I feel the same way. You know, watching yeah. my dad work hard, start his own business, yeah. sacrifice everything on his belief in his skill that he had as a petroleum geologist. Like we saw that as his three kids. And my mom worked her ass off, and like that was that became us in our own ways. But even then, at some point, like my dad, that trade that he had, he learned that from from his dad and his mom, and they learned like at some point. Yeah, my grandpa was a really changed. hard worker. Yeah, like my, my grandfather, like kind of broke the wheel of our family. His forefathers were not the greatest people. Yeah, but he kind of broke it and changed it and lived a better life. And like to me, that's his. Did your grandpa have brothers or any yeah. siblings? And did they do the same thing? Some did some didn't so that, that that's another example I like to use is like everybody likes like they'll bring up an example like there was this person that was in poverty and they had the worst upbringing and then they made it they worked hard they busted their ass they went to college or something but there's someone with a very similar story that went the other way and it's mean. like why did that guy go the right way and why did that guy go the wrong way free will <laughs> maybe I, don't, yeah. I love this yeah but you're, you're also doing like could be wrong, but you're into like the um, the cold plunges too, right? Like yeah. saunas. You do you do all kinds of stuff to like, physically to help your body. Yeah, I started doing it. Um, I always did cold plunges like after practice. I did it in college a good amount, mainly for like anti-inflammation. Miami, it was the best. They had a cold tub outside, and it went up to your waist. So after practice. Your whole upper body would be warm in like the humidity. That's kind of then your lower body was. Just, it felt amazing. So I got like addicted to cold, cold uh, plunges. It's another Corolla thing. It's all <laughs> about the cold plunge. Yeah. And then this past season, I started doing it in the mornings. I would get to the facility around like 6 a.m. It was funny. Me and Blaine Galbert were always the ones in there, like at 6 6 a.m. 6:10 uh, a.m. And we'd always meet in there in the cold plunge hot tub room. And I just like, I don't know why, I just started doing it like up to my neck, just sit there for five minutes, seven minutes. And it was like a couple reasons I did it. Like one, it felt good just like recovery wise on the body for the next two hours. The blood flow was like coming back to the muscles. Two, it was like something really hard to do in the morning. I felt like helped build like a mental discipline. Um, and then three was like a mood booster. They talk about like that extended like dopamine release over the next like two to three hours. So it's like when I'm sitting in those morning meetings that are monotonous and towards November, December, everybody, you know, the same things happen every single week in NFL season. Um, I was just like in an elevated mood and I felt better. Really? So, so it really does just help your day-to-day mood? Yeah, coolness. I think so. Um, yeah, it's just like a, it's a hard thing to do, but if you just like you wake up early and you just go get your full body in a in an ice bath, I don't know. It's like it's a trendy thing on Instagram. People like to make fun of it. I was gonna say like so I don't po- I don't ever post I don't ever post it or anything. I think I just Davis is into the you know the health kick right now. So I just he was he's been doing stuff like that too. So I just share Davis, the guy on the podcast, the, oh, the take cast. Gotcha. Um, so that's why I ended up sharing that with them. But uh, yeah, it's just. I'm not like one of those people that's like, you have to do cold plunges, but um, it's worked for me. It's 
and then you're you're a sauna guy too. Anything? I do a sauna yeah. too. Yeah. I don't know why the I, the sauna is like something you start doing and you push your body to like where it feels like oh I'm about to die. Yeah. And you put you push it push it and then all of a sudden you get out and it's it's similar. It's like That's a little like key. mood. It's like a mood boost. Um, a lot of guys say like it helps with sleep, which I've experienced a little bit. Um, but honestly, so, some of the it? best conversations, like people talk about the locker room conversations, the sauna is like attached to our locker room. Some of the best conversations after practice are in the sauna. Really? It'll be like 12 guys in the sauna just talking about whatever. It could be, a, could be stuff that happens at practice or it could be like debates about like life and stuff. That's what's so special about an NFL locker room. I mean, you've got dudes from every, every possible socio-economical background, yeah. every race, every creed, every political belief. It's one of the biggest oh. blessings, like, because I grew up in a small town area where most people grew up like how I grew up. And then I went to Cal and like Berkeley is like, it's not as crazy as everybody thinks, but there's a lot of different types of people there. And then on the football team, you get people from all over the country. Most people are from California, but even different parts of California are like culturally different. And then coming to the NFL, it's like even more. Midwest, Northeast, a lot of dudes from the South, a lot of guys from California. And it's just, it's interesting to just see how everybody interacts and like... There's nothing like it in life. I know, in it's, life. it's such, a, it's such a special guys. place. Yeah, I love it. I try to appreciate it as much as I can. Yeah, I love it. Because I guess like you've probably been asked this, like, oh my God, you have all these other interests. You're this brilliant dude like that wants to push your mind in all these different unique ways. Why Why do you play football? Like, why, why, hey, you're, hey, you're really good at it. You're going to get a lot of money. But I imagine that locker room is part of it too. Like the fact that you can kind of be around all yeah. these different people every day. It's got to be kind of neat. It's funny because I told you my best friend got married last weekend and I was the I was the best man. So I gave a, I gave a speech and I talked about... He joined the football team a week in to the season. We had lost 42 to zero, and then he joined the team. So we, just, we need more athletes. He's, he's a pretty athletic guy. But my best memories, like we became best friends, like we were friends before, but we became best friends that senior season of high school. My best memories were every day we'd go to the, there's like a local like convenience store, we get energy drinks. <laughs> and I can't believe I drink energy drinks at 3.30 in the afternoon. I, I never do that now. That's right, you said you don't have caffeine after I don't have 12 anymore. Never caffeine after 12. I shouldn't say never. If I'm like at the wedding, I had some caffeine after 12. But pretty much like 95% of the year, I never have it. I'm a wreck without that afternoon coffee. Oh really? I, gotta I can't do it, it messes up my sleep. Um, but my best memories were sitting in the car talking for 30, 45 minutes. And like, I remember like some games, but I remember mo way more of those conversations and like hanging out in his car before football practice. And so it's the same thing. It's like the best memories of my time in the NFL have been like the plane rides home after an away game on, you know, hanging out with all the, all the guys, talking about the game, but then talking about other stuff. like. It's just a great, yeah, it's just, so true. I mean, it's funny. I've interviewed so many of these former players, you know, guys that played in the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s, and so many of them are dealing with the effects of brain trauma or just, like, knees that are beat to shit, a back yeah. that is falling apart. 
and, and I, I mean, and, this is no exaggeration. Every single guy, when I asked them, do you have any regrets? Like, would you do this all again? Feeling like every single player says absolutely, 100%. And the number one reason is that camaraderie, the locker room, yeah. the friendships built. I mean, football can do so much good that I, don't know, I, I go back. I go back and forth on, on, on the violence, but I really don't because I feel like it's inherent to the sport, to what it is, and football can be a force of, of good, and that's one of the main components of it. I think. Yeah. Um, so you probably would like to play as long as you can, right? Like, I think I don't, I've said I want to play as long as I'm still enjoying it, right? And as long as I'm like, I feel like I'm, I can be healthy and still do it at a high level and so those two things are still happening for me now I don't know if there's ever going to be a point where I'm really not enjoying it I feel like the health thing would go first and then the third thing which is most common for people is no other team calls so I'll play until either I'm not enjoying it I'm not healthy enough to play or no team calls me uh, but right now I still have a job I'm still really enjoying it I was going to talk about the health thing, like, that's a scary thing that I think a lot of guys, con- I mean, some people just push it aside, I think most people at some point confront that, like, there's scary things that can happen, uh, luckily we're in an era now where people are like, it's a topic of conversation, people are talking about that, like, how, how do we make the game more safe, um, helmet companies are developing better technology, so... I hope, like, I'm in an era where a lot of my, me and my teammates are going to be in our 60s, 70s, 80s and still mentally sharp. Just like the way we were taught to tackle was so much different when I was in fourth grade versus, or sorry, my first season was fifth grade, to how it is now. It was, it was throw your head in there. Throw your head across. Now a lot of people teach the gator tackle, so you go head behind and roll. Um, so... I'm hopeful, and like for me, I've been lucky without any huge head head injuries. Obviously, there's like the, the contact, and some studies show it's actually like those short, repetitive hits, subconcussive hits. Sub-concussive hits. That's what um, Tua said at his presser this spring. That doc- he said his doctors told him there's no risk of CTE because they see it in the subconcussive, the linemen, the linebackers, which. It's probably true, but I also just did a story, you know, a series with Kevin Cobb. And, I mean, he did four concussions. He's driving down Southwestern Boulevard after the fourth in Buffalo, New York, and it's, it just goes hazy, and he drifts into the other lane and almost goes. Mm. I mean, he's a quarterback. So, I mean, it, I don't know, science is still so new. We're still it's learning. Very new. So and, and brain science is such a – it's not a definitive thing. Because a lot of time you can't diagnose things until after someone's passed away. You can't take out the brain of a, of a human. But it, hopefully it gets better. You, I mean, back to the, I don't know if this is free will or not, but like you, you can take control of it to an extent. You can keep your brain active and and day to day like yeah, got like Jamal Lewis, you know, Ravens running back and, and Cobb and so many of these guys say like they they pull up their eye calendar and they keep busy every day and they're a dad and they're running their kids around and they're running all these businesses and they're always staying active and busy and keeping their mind moving. I think that there is science to, yeah. you can push yeah, those yeah. symptoms down the road. Yeah, people that work late into their life, I think are like a lot sharper. Yeah. Um, I enjoy doing crossword puzzles. 
I, I like I like them just to like learn like I like words and stuff like that so like that's fun for me but then I'm in the back of my mind I'm also like I'm fighting off any sort of like brain injury yeah. that I've experienced um, yeah and then like the the force for good thing I really believe in and I like to think about like, it's kind of another far out thought, but like evolutionary biology, like why humans act the way they do. We've evolved a certain way. Like we all, we all used to be like in these 150 person tribes that like worked together and lived. And then we saw these other tribes and like maybe we were competing for the same resources. And so football is like a proxy for that old biological, uh, feeling that a lot of humans experience about like my side I want to win and the other side I want them to lose but it's healthy in the sense that you're not actually going out and killing the other tribe you're just rooting for your team you want your team to you know to, to go back to the hunter-gatherers like you want your team to go kill the, the local game so you can eat that week yeah and it's so primitive. football football yeah it's primitive and football is becoming a more, you know, it wasn't always this healthy game where, you know, a lot of, you know, back in the day, there's all these stories of the injuries and the head stuff. Like, so I'm hoping we get the, the game of football to a healthy, and obviously fans don't always act in a healthy way. Like, you know, there's all the stories about, there's the fights in the stadiums every year. Um, so, but then there's other things in society where it's become primitive and combative where it's very negative like we were talking about earlier with like politics yeah where it becomes my side versus your side and there's no room for agreement whereas like football is like a healthy outlet or basketball or whatever it is like root for your team root for that team but then when it comes to other things that we should really just work together there are no we should all be on the same team like you know running a government of a of a country that's where we shouldn't be the my tribe versus your tribe. We should really be one tribe trying to work. You know, one idea might be better than the other. Let's just debate ideas. Let's not call the other side evil. So I think football in that sense can be a force for good. Let's get our outlet of the old tribalism out in sports <laughs> yeah. rather than things like politics that have like real life consequences. And that, that's what makes football unique, I think. Yeah, or you know, another one is religion too, with like my tribe versus your tribe with religion. It's like let everybody have their own beliefs, but let's find the common ideas and and love, whatever. You know, every religion has a, has some sort of love in it. Let's just, like, agree on the love part and then believe what you want to believe. Don't fight over that. Fight over your favorite football team winning a game on Sundays. Not physically, but root for one side or the other. It's so it's like, for me, it's like healthy tribalism is what I think is could be the force for good. Just don't act physically on it. Let us, let the guys on the field do the the physical part in a safe way. <laughs> I, I love that. That's why we love football, though. It is. It's, it, it goes back to like the most primitive parts of our biology. It's, I mean, like you want your tribe to, to win against the other tribe. Like, so I hung out with Mike Dicka for that book, and I mean, he was like one of those first apex predators on a field. Like, okay, you did this to me, or you did that to my teammate. I am going to now kick your ass, and it's within the parameters of you know what's legal at the time within the sport. Yeah, and I didn't Dick Budkiss uh, play for Mike Dicka. Oh yeah, the they, linebacker. They were yeah. Budkiss was with the Bears. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and Budkiss was the name of Rocky's dog. Yeah. Remember in, in the first <laughs> yeah. two movies with Budkiss? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. 
but that's it, it's. I hope that the NFL remembers that because I get it. You, nobody, the players are getting bigger, faster, stronger than ever, and that is dangerous because now they're hitting each other at all these crazy angles. That wasn't the case in Dick's era, where you know maybe a guy's selling milk in the off season or delivering the mail. You know, it's yeah. It's, it was funny watching old Dick highlights and the people trying to tackle him. It's like they look like me, you know. <laughs> but so I, you know, I think that's the NFL's worry is that with the all-year-round training, I mean, these are the most elite physical specimens on the planet hitting each other at obscene angles. But you can't turn it into flag football. You can't turn it into something that's not because, I mean, nobody will watch, nobody will care, yeah. and it's everything you're talking about here will be lost. Yeah. Like you, we all want that outlet. We all want to watch modern-day gladiators doing something we can't wrap our minds around on a field. That's the battle they face. I, I just wish the NFL would own its own violence. Just own it. I mean, if this kickoff thing this week is so stupid. The fair catch thing. Like you can't do that out of one side of your mouth and then have Thursday night football games out of the other and add a regular season game and have meaningless preseason games. There's so yeah. many other ways. If you owned your violence and then worked around that reality, I think everybody would be better for it. Just be honest. Be upfront. I'd, I'd feel like the owners really aren't. Like they, Jeff Bezos throws enough money at you. All right, yeah, Thursday night football. Oh, you just got this shit beat out of you on Sunday. Better turn around. It might be a flex on Thursday. Yeah. That's what. That, that's where I get very player friendly because the players if you know what you're signing up for yeah or at least you know more than you ever knew before in the 90s you know concussions were still a novel thing you might laugh at somebody who said they had a concussion and you might, might need to sit out a game or that's changed and that's good yeah I don't know I just I just feel like that that owning of the violence needs to be a reality for the owners, and I don't think it is. But correct me if I'm wrong. And as a player, I mean, do, do, do you all think you know what you're getting into? I think you should reframe the. You should reframe the message. It's a it's a physicality. Violence is like a. I mean, we call it a violent game. I probably said that, you know, earlier. But um, yeah, there's a physicality to the game that can be appreciated. And if we teach people from a young age how to do it the right way, then you'll never completely mitigate the the risk of the game but it can be done in a way that's like the most the most safe for everybody's like long term health but yeah I don't think like me personally I would never take out the physicality of the game I just I think it wouldn't be as entertaining to watch and that's a big part of it it's just like we talk about it all the time it's like who's going to be the more physically imposing team and Physicality is like a, people think of it in the sense of like size and strength, but it's a lot of it's mental. And I think that's what people appreciate. Like you'll see a, a small safety like Buda Baker come up and deliver a blow on a running back, or he'll come on and take on offensive linemen that are pulling. And that's just, that's, that's entertaining, but it's also impressive and it's courageous and like, that's why we love the game. Like, yeah, I would never take the physicality out of the game, but I think there's 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 safe safer ways to do things. But it's like every time you step into, 
I don't want to make a false uh, analogy, but like every time you step into a car, there's a risk. Every time you step onto the football field, there's a risk. This stepping onto a football field is probably more of a risk in terms of injury. Um, but if we can design the game in a way and develop technology in the game in a way that protects people but still allows the physicality part of it, I think it's... Good's a weird word. I think it's uh, I think it's best for everybody. Yeah. Because I enjoy playing the, the, the physical part of the game. Even though I'm not like a bruiser or anything like that. I just, I appreciate that part of the game. It's just, it's such a, it's like so much of football. Yeah. You can't like, stray too I've far I've been hit really hard. I've been hit really hard and been completely fine. I might have got the air knocked out of me. But that's just like, that's what you sign up for. And I didn't sign up to have brain injuries when I'm 70. Like, I, no one wants that. So, like, I think we're all fine with adapting the game with the new science that comes out. Like, I think everybody's happy about that. Very few people want the head-down guys that run into people and use their head as a, as a weapon. Like, no one really wants that anymore. Um, but I don't think anyone wants touch football. Because what makes football special is that moment in Pop Warner when you're lining up for a hit and drill and you're deciding, is this for me or is this not for me? Yeah. And like you, like to your point on Buda Baker, like at 5, 10, buck, yeah. 7, whatever the hell he is, he makes the decision, I'm going to I'm gonna throw myself into that. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to do it. And he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. Yeah. And on a much smaller scale, I mean, I can remember like my first hitting drills. Granted, it was in drills that probably should be outlawed, bowl in the ring. And yeah, I was so nervous for my first <laughs> oh my hitting drills. Oh my oh, god. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. But that's what's kind of special about football. Like, you're, you know, these are guys you, went, you go to class with, and you're gonna see them the next day in yeah. you know, math and science, whatever. Yeah. And now you're out there hitting each other. Like the other sports still, don't have we, that. It was funny. We still get those nerves in the NFL. Like the first really? day of pads, there's just this heightened sense of like energy. Yeah. It's like our right, guys, we're gonna be hitting each other today. And like in the NFL, we don't really do much tackling actually. Like in practice, it's all tag off. But it it's tag off from the side, but it's thud from the front. You kind of, but you need to. You do need to have some of that, right? There are some live. There are some live periods, but it's, it's almost like pretty rare. Like. Some guys, the first time they get tackled is in the preseason game or maybe the first game of the season. Like receivers, receivers' first times getting tackled might be in the first game of the season. Wow. Running backs, we get tackled a, a bit more, but yeah. Yeah, and quarterbacks for sure don't get tackled until the first game of the season. Man, yeah. so what this has all been unbelievably fascinating like where where do you see your career going from here uh what what, what are your goals like the rest um your career what do, what do you want to like football goals yeah football i'd like to keep playing i'd like to so last year when i started on practice squad like last year was my first year just only being on practice squad so my goal was i was going to stay ready if they ever needed me to be like called up the, the main thing I was focusing on was being the best teammate I could ever, like I could be. So that's all I focused on. Is I was, I'm going to be a great teammate. So like I studied the game plan like I was going to play. 
Thursday, Friday rolls around. There's no injuries. I know I'm not going to play, so I'm just going to help the guys that are going to play, and then I'm going to help the defense get get ready. So be the best teammate I could be. Um, and I think, you know, I, I definitely want to play this year. Um, so if I'm playing or not, I'm trying to be the best teammate I could be. Because, like, I'm never going to be the fastest running back in the NFL. Um, I'm probably never going to rush for the most yards. But what can I be the best at? I can always be the best teammate in the NFL. That's kind of like the best running back teammate that I can be in the NFL. Um, but, like, on like a personal note, like I would love to just play as long as I can while I'm still enjoying it. So if that's 10 years, which sounds crazy because no running backs ever played 10 years anymore. Like Giovanni Bernard just played his 10th year last year. And like I love that dude. And But he's like, he's so talented. So like it's really hard for me to do that. But like I never thought I'd play a cow. So like why not? Why sell myself short? Yeah, I just... I want to play on Sundays again, and like, it's so fun, that the, the best feeling you can have, when I, when I mentioned like my best memories is being on the plane ride back from a away game, yeah. hanging out with the guys, being one of the guys that helped the team win, it feels so good, so probably that, like that's my goal, is just like, be on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, help us win games and be a great teammate and it sounds like I'm just trying to like be cliche or like not or like sounds like I'm trying to be um, what's the word like sound like a good football like good guy saying that but like that's actually probably what I would enjoy the most is like playing football while while I enjoy it being a good teammate and then like helping the team win I'll probably never be like the there might be a game where I'm the the player that helped us win the most but like there's probably not going to be a season where I'm the guy that helps the team win the most game like but I would love to be a part of the you know part of the team and like help the team win there's not many players out there though who prompt fans to get tattoos <laughs> I love that so that what was, I didn't prompt that that was he did that on his own volition he, he did on his own volition but like you so this is when you were the fantasy football darling right and it was yeah, your, yeah, my rookie year your rookie year your final <laughs> stat line it was amazing <laughs> was it 10 5 1 it was something bad it was like yeah got a touchdown a go ahead touchdown against the Eagles my first, oh, yeah, I know. My first NFL touchdown yeah. touchdown Lord, uh, Laird Willing, right? Yeah, Laird Willing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably looks many, at that and, and regrets it. <laughs> there's not many NFL players who have compelled anybody in this world to then get tattoos with their play. I mean, you, you're always going to be a fantasy football legend. That's amazing. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know why he did that, but that, it's pretty funny. That's only a story. That's a story I can't bring up. That's only a story that my friends or people that know me can bring up. Because <laughs> you can't bring that up at like a dinner party, and, and you just sound like an asshole. <laughs> you know, someone got a tattoo of me. Um, and you? Yeah, but no, that guy actually got it. He got hooked up with some tickets and like a jersey. And you know, so you know him? I never met him, but we DM'd I think, and then the, the Dolphins hooked him up with some gear and stuff. Some tickets out of it then. It's on his thigh, so no, one, no one's gonna see it. Yeah. 
his wife, right? His wife, so she didn't know about it before. Oh, that's right. And she wanted him to get a tattoo of her name or something. Her name, and he wouldn't do that. And then got... That's amazing. That. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, your, your story is, like, unbelievable. You People thought you were an intern in Miami. Yeah. Right? Like, that was your... Not technically. Game. So, <laughs> that story's funny because... I was sitting down with some operations guys and their interns, and I was like asking the questions. And the intern, one of the interns, looked at me and he was like, "So what do you do here?" And I remember looking at the operations guys because they were like they went silent and they're like looking at me to see what I, my reaction was. And I was like, I didn't care. I was like, Oh, I'm on the team. Like, didn't take any offense. And then uh, I told that story to the team. And then that's when like the coaches started calling me intern. That's when they called I, like, intern. Yeah. Okay. And then Fitz had told the media. That's kind of when the media ran with it. But then like mistakenly said that I was mistaken as an intern. But yeah, story story's still good regardless. Uh, oh yeah. It's funny. Coquif, tight end. I told you I hang out with now. He calls me the intern now. <laughs> Which I like it. I like that. Movie. What was it like playing in, in Miami? Did you like it? I mean, you, you had really some it. ups and downs. You had Fitz. Um, Fitz was awesome. Tua was awesome. Uh, no complaints. Like, it was a great situation for me because Flo was hired as the new coach. He wanted a young team that was like willing to learn, be hungry. We struggled. <laughs> First seven games of the season, we really struggled. I remember it was Monday Night Football. We were 0-6. We go to the Steelers in Pittsburgh, play them. I think we were, like, up at halftime, and then they came back and beat us. I could be wrong on that, but I'm jogging off the field. We had just lost our seventh game in a row, and a Steelers fan had a sign that said, knock, knock. He said, who's there? He said, Owen. He said, Owen who? He said, Owen seven. <laughs> and I was like, that's a good sign. <laughs> but then the next the next week we won, and then we started like putting these like a string of games together. We ended up like eleven and no, no five and eleven. That's right, you guys beat the Patriots. And then the next year, still a young team, we played like Fitz and Tua. Almost made the playoffs. Yeah. Lost to the Bills at the end of the season. And then my third year, we were in the playoff hunt again. Um, so it was interesting to go from like a team that was just like rebuilding to like almost making it and being young and learning what it's like to be in the NFL. It was like an awesome experience. Like, I mean, obviously everybody wants to be on a playoff team right when they come into the NFL, but uh, sometimes it's like, it's interesting. You learn a lot when you're on a team that's not playing well. So it was fun to be on the team last year when we like won the division, went to the playoffs and obviously like. We didn't accomplish everything in Tom's last season, but um, for me, like going to the playoffs, like not that I played, but like it was a cool experience. Miami was strange because it seemed like this was a team openly tanking, trying to lose, and then then you had that little run at the end, and then things get better. You're so you're competing internally when whatever's happening externally. I had to be strange as a player to be in the middle of all that. I can say this, like my some 2019 was like Flo's first year and like I couldn't have told I wouldn't have been able to tell that we were like trying to tank or anything. Like Flo wanted to win yeah every game that year. Like and like he pushed all players to win every single game. So um, 
Yeah. We like we worked really hard that season. We just like had a couple games, like close games early on. I remember like we lost I think against Washington on like a botched two point conversion. I think we had like another close game against the Jets. But like if you were in the building, like you didn't feel like we were trying to lose. Like so, so Tom Brady had two lockers, and you like took oh, yeah. his second locker, right? Well, <laughs> and, then, and then then he came back from his little uh, training camp exile, whatever you want to yeah. call it, and then you got moved to another locker. That, the that, same day, the same day, like literally, like my locker was put right next to Tom's, and then at 4 p.m. that day, they cut five guys from the team because they had to go from 90 to 85. And the same day, my locker was moved to a different part of the locker room. Just so you... I love that. Oh if anyone's going to have two lockers, Tom deserves two lockers. But what it's I... not even that he has, like, actually two lockers. It's just the one next to him, he might put a couple extra things in there. <laughs> what does it feel like in that locker room right now when he is no longer there? I mean, I feel like the entire country is talking about Tom Brady from July to August to the end of the season. Non-stop, 24-7. It's on every TV. If you think about Tampa Bay, you're thinking about Tom Brady, too. Now he is retired. Yeah. And now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are trying to forge a new identity. Um, with. So, yeah, I mean, I know as we're sitting here, it's May. But is yeah. it refreshing, in a sense? I guess I wouldn't know how to answer the question without having been here before him. Like, there's some guys on the team that, like, experienced Tampa before him, experienced yeah. it with him, and now they're about to experience it without him again. Um, all I know is, like, when Tom came, there was, like, a heightened interest, which makes a ton of sense. I remember I came here in 20... So, I came here for joint practices in 2019 my rookie year when I was with Miami and then I came here again in 2021 with the Dolphins and we landed at the airport we're on the bus on our way to like the, the stadium and I saw like two murals of Tom painted on like, the sides of buildings I'm like this it's guy's still been here the stadium. yeah it's still yeah he's still he's still around the city uh but that's just the type of impact he has. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, no one's no one's glad he's gone, but like we're all like everybody's competitors. Like like we all just like enjoy playing football. So like we're like, all right, he's not the teammate anymore. Here's our team now. Let's go out with these guys. Let's go win. Like that's I think that's that's probably how most guys feel. Like everybody like loves everybody like everybody that's been teammates with Tom because I remember like in Miami we had a ton of guys that we signed from New England and like one of the questions you ask a guy as you get to know him like what was it like being teammates with Tom like, oh he's looking at those questions in this locker room oh yeah now this off season I'm experiencing it I was probably the annoying guy asking the guys that came over from New England but I remember them telling me like oh he's a great teammate he's so nice like he knew everybody he talked to everybody and then when I was teammates with him, I'm like, oh, yeah, Tom's awesome, super nice guy, competitive, intense, but, like, great teammate. And that's how I feel. Like, that's what people told me before I was teammates with him, and that's how I feel afterwards. He was the one uh, player who had the answer to your trivia question on the president. That is true, yeah. 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 yeah, so, and very smart guy, obviously, too. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, the feeling now, I think, I feel like the offense overall is a little bit younger. Like, we obviously still have our veterans. Like, Mike Evans is back. Chris Godwin's back. Um, yeah, I think it's, like, overall a younger offense than it was last year. And then we have a new offense coordinator. And so... It's just going to be different. Like, every team's different. Yeah. Whether there's a new quarterback or not, I just think quarterback's the most visible thing when there's, like, a new offense. But, like, even when a, when a quarterback stays, it's still a completely new offense because there's going to be new guys plugged in different places. Just quarterbacks look the most visible. I mean, we've been thinking so big picture here, though. Like, 10, 15 years from now, where do you see your life? Where do you want to be? Where's Patrick Laird? You know, are we talking? Because of course, free will is at is at stake here. Like you, you can choose your destiny in 15 years. <laughs> I hope free will exists so I can choose where I'm at. Um, I'd like to be happily married to my fiance Bryce. probably be somewhere in the business world so like I studied business growing up or sorry I studied business in college was into business growing up I don't know like maybe I'll be working for a great company or I'll have like started a business we uh god you ran like five businesses in high school you said car detail not all at the same time they were all different times um I'm kicking around this idea of like, I read this book recently on buying small a, a small business. It's called Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition. So I'm kicking around that idea. So maybe I'll like buy a small business and run it. Uh, but my fiance, is a, she's gonna be a lawyer in a couple months. She graduated law school, she's taking the bar in July. So wherever she's working, wherever she wants to work, I'm gonna find a job where she's at when I'm done playing football. That's pretty cool. And yeah, hopefully, you know, I've done some investing already, so I'll be managing those, the investments, and then, um, yeah, I'll figure it out after that. But, like, I enjoy the, the competitive aspect of, like, my job currently, so, like, I think the business world will be, like, a great competitive outlet for me. I thought, like, for a long time I wanted to go into, like, banking and then private equity, and I may still do that. Uh, but we'll see. It, it kind of depends on how long I'm playing football for. Because, like, yeah. if I play for, like, three more years and then I'm 31 years old or 30 years old, like, do I want to go be an analyst or an associate at a private equity firm? Who knows? Um, or could I go buy a small business, run it, make it better, increase revenue, sell it for a higher multiple, and then do the same thing or keep the business, enjoy running it, something like that. So... Somewhere where I'm with my fiance, my dog will still be alive. He's going to live forever. Oh. And then I'm doing something in the business world, maybe running a business or working for a great business. That's kind of the, that's the hope I get. Isn't that the truth, though? We were just telling Edmund, our dog, the other day, you got to live forever. There's no choice. My dog's going to live forever. Yeah, you can't die. No. I don't know what we'll do he's gonna be the English. He's going to be the oldest English bulldog of all time. <laughs> he reads the Wall Street Journal with you. He does. I like it. He's smart. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's great that you have goals beyond football. I mean, it's not a, not every guy has that. I mean, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a gift. I'm lucky. Yeah. Dude, thanks so much. Lucky. This was awesome. All right. There is my conversation with Patrick 
layered again, you can also read it over at Go Long. Thank you so much for listening, for reading. If you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, you're in luck. I'll have some more Bucks coverage, Bucks storytelling soon at golongtd.com. And if you are new around here, it's a great time to subscribe. Eight a month, 50 a year. We'd love to have you join the community. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.